0: to another episode of the searchers. I'm your host Ben and joining me is Chris.
1: Say hi, Chris. Hey everybody, how's it going?
0: And this week we are well, before I say that, uh it's probably going to be 2023 when this airs, so I guess happy new year. First episode of Woo! 2023, so that's pretty exciting, I guess, maybe. Um, happy
1: 2023. I we're kind of talking in the future a little bit right now.
0: Yeah. Which is weird to do for the first time, but so be it. So Uh, be it. So this week we're covering um, a Japanese Yakuza movie from the 60s. Uh, It's Red Peony Gambler, or in Japanese, um, Hibotan Bakudo from 1968, directed by Kozaku Yamashita. And um, it's starring... um, Sumiko Fuji, uh Ken Takakura, and Tomisoboru Wakayama, which are like the three big names. There's probably some other character actors in there. Uh famous two people. Very um in with the Japanese uh cinema, but we'll uh, hold off from naming anybody else. Um
1: Yeah, I think I think Machida is kind of one of the bigger characters in there. Uh Kyosuke Machida. I don't really know too much. I just recognize that name yeah he's along in, with the three he's in
0: so. he's in a lot of uh famous well he, he was in um sorry what was it he was in one of the zatoichi movies he was in the, the um the yakuza movie with ken takakura and robert mitchum directed by From Ma-
1: 1974 Yep.
0: Yeah. yep and he was in a couple of other kinji fukusaku movies that you might be familiar with but they got error releases actually recently on one is street mobster he might have been in uh maybe not in battles uh without honor and humanity but i know he was in a couple movies that have just gotten you know recent releases on dvd and have kind of or blu-ray rather and have been getting their resurgence with like the hardcore cinema fans so definitely uh yeah he's in a lot of he was
1: also he he was also in wolf guy from 1975 i have heard of that but i have not seen it
0: i was actually going to watch that i i got a copy of it a while ago and i was saving it for like um halloween this upcoming you know back in 2022 actually and um, unfortunately uh i had a work trip in like the first three weeks of uh, October, so I didn't really get to it, but I'll, I'll save it for next year. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Just don't have another work trip in October.
0: Actually, the, <laughs> yeah, that one's that one's yearly, but it got rescheduled for the next time it will be in March 2024. So luckily, don't have to worry about that one. Yeah.
1: Good. Good. You get to enjoy your uh, routine October horror fest and stuff that everybody does
0: well not really a horror guy but i'll i'll throw in some japanese
1: movies (laughs) i you know what i'm not much of a horror guy although i'll partake in anything and i'll follow the horror trend sometimes like this past year i dug my heels a little bit into the weird western or the western horror genre which i briefly talked to you about actually um Back in September or October, yeah, I you were helping me try to find a few movies that might fit that category, and I, I watched about eight. It's a pretty broad genre definition and kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and for being such a big fan of Westerns, I'm, I'm familiar with a couple of the films that you brought up, but most of them I'm like, what is this?
1: <laughs> they're very weird. A lot yes. of them are just very strange, and they're also... Either incredibly campy, or they are, you know, C-level films, if you want to call them that. D, 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 you know. Yeah. Not definitely not A-listers or B-listers even. You kind of go d- knock down a few letters in the alphabet there to get to where those movies are. No, so I
0: totally understood, and I mean, I, there's definitely. <laughs> plenty of films that I've probably seen in that same vein, just not that, uh, not that genre specifically. There's always a time and a place for, um, I guess you, would would you call that schlock or is that something different?
1: No, I, I think it would fit there also. It's, yeah. it's its own thing. Really. It would fit into schlock though. If if you want to use the term schlock is kind of like the broad, all-encompassing term for for you know low low budget campy weird stuff you know okay in other words it, in other words it would be trash you can call it trash people call it trash they like their trash one man's trash is another man's treasure as they say
0: yeah uh there's plenty of i know there's some people who kind of use that same term or or, uh, I guess they'd say, yeah, trash, but in the uh anime community, I know when I used to be semi into that, um, not as much as most people that are really into it, but uh, they'd have their, yeah, qu- quote unquote, trash shows that were just like completely gratuitous in whatever ridiculous way, and those never really did anything for me. But yeah, I know that's 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 kind of for-
1: they'll either hit you, you know, hit you in the right spot or not. The nice way to put it is probably calling it a genre picture. A lot of what people quote unquote call genre pictures, you know, are sort of like Albert Pune that we touched upon um, a few weeks ago now with Down Twisted, digging into the certain weird things that they like to dig into with um. Like, Down Twisted was sort of like a comic, it was described as a pulpy comic noir in a few reviews I read, and I thought that was accurate, even if maybe it's not great for everybody, if that makes sense. You know, bridging that gap with action, some suspense. It followed a few rom-com tropes, too, but it, it, didn't, it didn't actually fulfill the tropes to the, to the fullest.
0: Yeah, he borrowed With, from a, he borrowed from a lot of different uh, cliches and kind of made
1: this exactly
0: very different exactly piece.
1: And as we had mentioned, you know, he was inspired. He had a lot. It was a whole melting pot of inspiration there, specifically from Walter Hill's Streets of Fire, which I still need to see. <laughs> go
0: do it, everyone. Go do that. It's awesome.
1: You heard it. Ben says, "Go do it." Watch Streets of Fire, guys.
0: Um. But yeah. This movie this week, I think this might be uh, before we started recording. I think this is one of the first in this genre that you've kind of visited.
1: Or the Yakuza film?
0: Or this specific one. So, I mean, the the Yakuza films that people mostly think of are going to be either 90s or more recent things. Kind of maybe, maybe the stuff directed by... Takashi Miike or uh, Beat... uh, What's his name? Beat Takashi? Yeah, I guess they both have the same first name. Weird. Uh, But Takashi Kitano or whatever. I'm not a huge fan of those movies, but um, most people would think of either that. They probably if they're really into films, they would know the Pollock Yakuza movie, which was not successful in the US or Japan, which it's more of a probably a cult film at this point um or mm-hmm. they or they would know the uh the kenji fukusaku movies because well they're getting a huge they're getting an absolutely huge resurgence on um home video with, through arrow um oh really oh yeah they, they've gotten released through arrow he, they, he's gotten his other movies released like street mobster uh, there's there's i forget what it's called graveyard of graveyard is something arrow I mean they're they've released like in the past couple of years probably eight or nine of these movies and I'm like what <laughs> since when do you guys like accusing movies they're usually re- are re- releasing basically horror movies or just really weird um, indie cult uh, I guess yeah indie cultish that's kind of their thing I mean
1: well it 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 relates very much to the samurai film correct which one the, Yaku- the yakuza well i'm just saying in general does does the yakuza um genre sort of uh fuse a little bit with the samurai flick or well, am yet, i getting that mixed up
0: well yes and no um so the the samurai flick would be you know something like what seven samurai or um yojimbo yojimbo yeah i mean those are all Kurosawa's pretty famous but um, there's people like Hideo Gosha, uh, well, he's director. Uh, there's a lot yes. of guys from the 60s and 70s that those are more either Judageki, which that's the whole thing with the Jedi and Star Wars and how Lucas stole that that from Kurosawa. Uh, that literally, Jidageki means period piece. Um, so like those movies are, I would say, different from an, a Western perspective. I can definitely see saying, yeah, they're very similar, but to a Japanese audience, they're not um, the Yakuza movie. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an expert expert at all, but I I know enough to be dangerous. Um, so this movie, r- the Red um, Peony Gambler, um, would be considered a sh- a chivalry film or Ninkyo Aiga, uh, which is the Japanese what they call it. And those yes. those are kind of they always are starring a. Uh, either single or a single person or like a small group of people going against a, you know, a greater force of, you know, evil or some kind of corrupt bad guys. And, you know, in this movie specifically, our, our heroes are, are Yakuza, but not in what you'd think from a Western perspective. Like they're not like evil, they're good Yakuza. And uh, people would be like, well, what, what does that mean? Uh, basically the Yakuza, the original reason that the Yakuza were even formed was because towns back in the day, or back in the day in Japan, you know, four or 500 years ago, uh, of samurais, if samurais didn't have masters, they basically become bandits and they would just go around terrorizing towns, kind of, you know, seven samurai, kind yep. of in that same yep. vein. So towns would form these Yakuza gangs that would fight the, like, the, i wouldn't consider them ronin but whatever uh again all the technical terms in japanese I, I i can't spit those out of i've read it probably somewhere but i can't spit it out of my brain because it's just i don't speak their language is so different um, i, I but, gotcha but basically so in this movie in a in a ninkyo uh Iga, in in this type of film you're gonna have yakuza with strict um a code of honor. And basically there's always going to be a party who disregards that code of honor and, and does whatever they want to try to get ahead. And that is kind of the struggle. So I, to make the, to make that comparison, it's almost as as if the Ninkyo Aiga of the sixties in Japan and early seventies, I mean, the genre kind of fell off in the early seventies. And then there was a new, um, What's it called? Jutsuroku? No, it, that's not the right word. It starts with J I'm um, unfamiliar. It's It starts with a J. A, it with a J a... But basically, the movie that I just previously mentioned, um, the battles of battles without honor and humanity, that would cons- that would be considered the new, um, the new type of yakuza movie, and that is basically where everyone's kind of scummy and they're all out for themselves. And the old genre is the. You know, there was a decade of all these movies being made of there's honor among thieves, kind of, but
1: more classic feel.
0: So how? Yeah. So what I was saying is, yeah, the comparison I would I would use is it's almost as if these traveling gambler type movies, which is the Ninko um, Iga. Those are like the golden age of Westerns. And then the spaghetti Westerns are like the new age. Ah, uh, the spaghetti westerns that are pretty trashy and violent, and they're cartoonishly violent, and they're just very nihilistic. That's very similar to what happened with the Japanese cinema with the yakuza flicks in the seventies. They became very, just very dark films. Um, okay. And basically, ever anything was on the table. You know, anybody could die. They they weren't very the the
1: anti heroes. Yeah, well, not all even, that kind of good stuff.
0: Yeah, not even heroes. Basically, everyone was kind of a villain. <laughs> more or less there might there, there might be one that would stand out as the quote unquote hero but he still did not f- follow a code and kind of just did what he needed to do and yeah kind of the that's the really easy way to des- to describe the uh it different- sounds like a
1: good down and dirty summary actually that you provided i I think that sounded pretty good to me yeah okay so um, the,
0: it is it is um Jitsuruko is the or Jitsou Jitsou Roku. yeah, jitsu roku is the the more the the scummy ones I was describing. That's the that's the um, the term for it. So, and I'm but not the, gonna, the
1: later the later generation. Yeah,
0: and don't ask me to say that again. <laughs> okay, um, noted. But yeah, yeah. So
1: maybe this is a little off track, but we mentioned Akira Kurosawa already. Sure, and my only familiarity with yakuza films right at this moment that i can remember are his films specifically stray dog from 1949 and then drunken angel from 1948 i did that backwards a little bit but those two films definitely involve yakuza life um
0: to be specific the the one we are covering today is it, it takes place in like You know, they're still brandishing, uh, not katanas, but they all have, like, knives, and they all... It's, like, late 1800s, early 1900s, and I think the Kurosawa movies are more, like, in the 30s. They're more, like, mod When they were made, they were kind of modern. It was of of... the time. Yes. So, that would be the difference. The, the, The Ninkyo Aiga movies are all kind of they're all wearing kimonos none of them are Western westernized yet with suits or hats or anything like that they're all very much traditional Japanese um, and that's kind of the difference between I would say the difference between the Kurosawa ones and and this movie we're covering today yes
1: yeah, because you're you're saying the Kurosawa ones do have Western influence or they do not
0: oh no they absolutely do
1: I was gonna say my counter it was kind of be a counter, or it was going to join you in what you had just said. That I I specifically recall, I believe, with Stray Dog, I have a 50/50 shot here of getting it right. It's either Drunken Angel or Stray Dog. One of them. Which one's the one with the doctor? That's Drunken Angel, I yeah, believe.
0: Yes, correct. And I I've only yes, seen that yes. like one so, time.
1: So Takashi Shimura's character, the one who is sort of uh, the guardian angel. If you will, of Toshirō Mifune's character, um, I recall a lot of Western influence in this film because it had more of the noirish style.
0: A- absolutely, and, uh,
1: and, and 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 that's even something completely different from everything you just mentioned. Like there's the whole noir angle, although that could probably fit under the Western influence in general.
0: If we're being specific um, to Kurosawa, none of I mean besides his actual samurai movies, most of his other films were very much influenced by Hollywood convention. And I mean, he obviously took all that stuff and made his own style. And he's very, he's very distinct, but I mean, the Japanese at the time of release, a lot of his releases at the time, like he was not a fan to Japanese people because he was not a traditional Japanese kind of filmmaker. Like he was just off doing his own thing. Um, and, now he's kind of looked back on positively by the Japanese uh, public. But at the, at the time he was kind of seen as like not trashy, but kind of just like, you know, Western culture. And West- he was the black
1: sheep of the, of the Japanese directors. Yeah. If so you will. he,
0: right. I, in the, in the post-war years, there was a, a and that's post-war um, that's post-World War II. When all the U S troops were still there occupying Jap- Japan, all the films were super anti-Western themed and, uh, yes, Kurosawa kind of didn't, I mean, I'm not a Kurosawa expert, but I'm pretty sure he, you know, conformed more to Western tropes, uh, in his filmmaking. And he, you know, he always liked John Ford Westerns and stuff like that. So he was kind of taking what he saw and adapting it to his, um, con, you know, his artistry and, uh, yeah, N- not to go on a tangent, but yeah, I, I definitely do ag- t- to do. I do agree that the noir part of that movie, which I haven't, I have probably seen that movie like three years ago. It's been a while, but I would say that they're it's almost completely different than the one we're we're uh, reviewing today.
1: Well, it's interesting to put this context behind Japanese film. I, we're kind of biting off more than we can chew, I think, at the moment. But it, it's fascinating to touch upon how the culture and The events of World War II specifically influenced all of these filmmakers. We're already talking about Kurosawa and how he gravitated toward Western influence as opposed to someone like he might have been a little bit later, but Seijin Suzuki was someone who went the other way, if I'm not mistaken, who sort of maybe not despised Western culture, but stuck in, stayed with. The more trad- maybe traditional Japanese filmmaking ways, if I have that my wording correctly there. Um, maybe not- I don't want to say anti Western sentiment or anything like that, but you can obviously tell a difference between a f- the, the temperament of a film like Suzuki's Gate of Flesh, which I believe was mid 60s, 1964, to something like what Ak- Akira Kurosawa would have made around the same time
0: i'm not a suzuki follower i think i've seen one of his movies which is what tokyo drifter maybe and i wasn't a super into it but i know yeah i mean
1: i'm just using him as an example i I, there's probably plenty out there it's just the first one that kind of came to mind
0: i i would say if you were to take those two directors and compare them to someone like ozu like I think someone would be like, yeah, like Ozu's completely traditional and, and there's all these guys in the fifties after the, because he was making movies in the thirties and forties. And there's all these directors through the, the late forties to early fifties, just doing all this after di- the war. Yeah. Yeah. Just doing all this different yeah. kind of stuff. And I, I really, I do not want to make a comment on any of that. Cause I don't know of anything about Suzuki specifically.
1: No, but I think this is good. We're sort of getting our chops wet. If you know, with, with, this whole genre and where it fits into the grand scheme of things. I was actually going to bring up Ozu uh, in my previous comment because he's one of the few that made silent films of right Japanese filmmaking. And um, his path is interesting to watch because there's a really fascinating tone, tonal change from his earlier films to, you know, pre-World War II to after World War II. And even though he sort of stays in his lane, you can totally tell the, the tonal shift from, some, from pick any movie from the 20s or 30s that he does and how he focuses on young youth, uh, college life, sort of looking towards the future, how it's bright, and then how things sort of, fall apart when you know after the war happened so it's all it's all very interesting it's I, i'm sure people have written about it and know a lot more than you and i do on this oh yeah but it's a good background into digging into the red puny gamb- gambler
0: yeah so um i kind of asked to cover this one just because i i've seen it before and i've also so this movie is a is part of a series and it's number 1 out of 8 films and I've seen them all actually as of I think a few months ago I finished the last one.
1: Wow, you you've uh you've taken the whole 8. Yeah,
0: so they're not easy to find but they are <laughs> they're on YouTube. <laughs> so you can at least
1: for those of the listeners, not to interrupt Ben, but you listeners that are driving right now and can't check, Red Peony Gambler, the first one, only has 323 views on Letterboxd at the time of this recording. So, very... It's obscure. Very, very obscure. Yeah, and I don't know about the others. I don't know if they get slightly more popular as the series goes on, but usually usually the first one, you would think would be it's the most popular, the popular one.
0: Yeah. It's definitely yeah. the as popular on Letterboxd, at least, but... Yeah, these so the Japanese just the Japanese films in general, if it's not Kurosawa, Gosha, Takashi Mike, I mean Godzilla movies, things of that nature that have just been released for whatever reason over here in America. If it's not one of those things, it's kind of just by default obscure. Like so Ozu obviously is just getting released by criterion left and right. So everyone knows what that is. All his films have kind of gotten a following so this is kind of a blind spot for a lot of people and that's kind of the whole point of the podcast is to try to cover things that not the most obscure things of all time you know we don't want to cover a japanese movie that no one's seen except for actual japanese people and there's no subtitle uh there's no subtitles that exist or there's no you know way to get it this movie read peony gambler the peony peony Peony. It's a flower. That's a. It's a flower. Yeah, how, how do you say that? It's peony. P, p the o. It's p, P-E-O-N-Y. and the and the o has this. The the o has the sound of, of like a a in about. Uh, so p peony uh, peony yeah, which peony. again yeah exactly. It's it's really just awkward to say because I for the longest time I'm like it's pe- it's, it's peony and like yeah. and then I look I literally looked it up on YouTube I'm like. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. need to look up a, a YouTube video about these flowers.
1: We can put our pinkies in the air and go pe. Yeah, peanut don't, don't put your yeah. pink
0: don't put your pinky in the air because you might get it cut off. Uh that is a reference oh, to Oh <laughs> nice. That, yeah. I
1: set you up good there. Yeah. alley oop,
0: baby. Yeah, right in. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, so in the first, in the opening scene um of this movie, there's a they're in a gambling den and uh these gamblers are going at it, and that's your you, you've probably seen it if you've seen any yakuza movies that usually there's a someone slicing their finger off because their boss says to to pay retribution to them fucking up basically like oh you messed up all right cut your finger off to to uh you know for us for us to forgive you you have to cut your finger off which is again size a
1: digit yeah. yeah
0: like they're like cut the small finger off i mean and then I don't know for whatever reason this movie's coming into my head but uh Tokyo Drift the F- Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift at the end of the movie yes. where uh you know Sonny Chiba's in there for the cameo and he's like the yakuza boss and they're they're doing the final race they have the usually they have like a hot attractive girls with their like boobs out and stuff like d- like starting the I mean, race yeah, at least yeah they they start the race with their arms coming down and it's like all in- yes. throughout that whole series but in and during that race it's one of the yakuza guys and he holds his hands up and he's missing like
1: he's missing a finger no he's yeah. missing like six yeah.
0: fingers it's six. pretty yeah so
1: i haven't seen that in a long time but i i remember something of the sort yeah that's pretty so
0: funny. that's a very basically everyone our age that's male and you know watch those movies probably well that's I kind of just spoiled my own point but basically everyone we know that's our age and has seen those movies has been exposed to the yakuza to a very small degree at least
1: and that is everyone's tokyo drift connection of the day
0: there you go is that i get a healthy dose of that is that a thing there's you need a tokyo drift uh connection
1: (laughs) i don't know i I don't think so (laughs) maybe maybe there is maybe there is for fast and furious writ large but not uh not Tokyo Drift. At least that's kind of the redheaded stepchild of the series, I think. And uh, even though I kind of like it, I liked it. So oh,
0: I I think that's actually in the top three movies made. I
1: agree with you.
0: Uh, the first one is my favorite, and I really like for whatever reason Fast Five, which is the bank the bank one.
1: Yes, the bank the bank. Hype. I really like that oh, one. I, I saw it in theaters.
0: I, do too. I that was like the only one I saw in theaters. Besides, I think I saw, oh no, I saw four, which is just fast and furious, confusing fast five. And then I guess whatever fast six was, was it just F six or I forget what it was, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I saw that one in theaters and was like, Oh, this is amazing. I mean, it might not be a g- great, but I think I've rewatched it and it holds up, but uh, enough of the plot of uh, Tokyo drift. We can uh, talk a little bit about the plot of Hibotan Bakudo or red Hiyoni uh, gambler. Hiyoni. Yes. Um
1: yeah, there's a bit of a, a bit of a revenge plot in this, isn't there? So Ry- Ryuku, Ryoko, I think that's her name, uh, played by Sumiko Fuji. She had a good relationship with her father. She was raised by her father and her father was a gambler who I, his name was Yano and They're from like a little village or a little area and being raised by uh, her, her father, her mother dies. And then uh, her father gets killed by an opposing clan. And for the rest of her life, she wants to seek revenge for the, for the death of her father. Um, But she meanwhile gets into the gambling world um, and commits to being a Yakuza. And that's kind of where all the traditional, sort of classic codes of the Yakuza come into play. She's very much by the book as far as the code goes. And everyone else in the movie does just about the same. They all know and understand that there's a way to these things and that you can't just go into it all willy nilly or expect to. A- bunch of chaos you have to do things the way that everyone has done them before um i think that's all i got as far as a vague plot goes how did i do ben
0: yeah so the only thing that uh i will add is that she doesn't know who the killer is of her father um she's looking for him and that kind of she's looking for whoever it was and that's kind of feeds into like the side plot with uh ken takakura's character. I'm not sure. Do yeah. we... Do, yeah, so everything you said was correct except for just adding that little bit because there's a little bit of a mystery in the first act, which... Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, so typically in Ninkyo... Um, Ninkyo Yakuza films, there is usually the three acts in the first one, you already like the good guys and you as the viewer already know who the bad guys are. And it's just a matter of time. It's just a, a boiling, it's a simmering pot that's starting to boil until, you know, at the end. And then everything explodes in some kind of big finale. But in this one, very much,
1: that's very much what this movie did.
0: Yeah. But in this, in this one, you know who the bad guy is. And then Ken Takakura's character is kind of put in there so that, ryoko or sumiko fuji doesn't know who the bad guy is until like halfway through which is i think they knew what they were doing because they already had planned the series i'm assuming they already planned doing multiple movies
1: maybe not eight but yeah they i'm sure they planned out a few it, it, it felt that way yeah. by the time the end rolls around yeah
0: the series just in Japanese filmmaking in general, like making series is kind of their bread and butter. For example, um, this one was eight movies. Um, Ken Takakura, who we kind of haven't touched upon at all, but I'm not sure was this your first movie with Ken?
1: Ah, uh, I'd have to check that. I, I
0: mean, unless you watch, if you watch the Yakuza with C- Sydney Pollock's Yakuza, he was in that.
1: I have not seen that yet.
0: Black Rain, Mister no, Mister no, Baseball. No, I, I
1: haven't seen. Nope, I haven't seen any of his movies. Okay. Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck.
0: Yeah, we, I love Tom Selleck. Big Magnum PI fan. Oh, but man, but uh, that yeah. movies yeah. that movie's actually fairly good. It's a comedy, but so then Takakura. I mean, that was in the '90s. So this is thirty almost '30 years. Early '90s. Yeah, so, yeah, thirty years apart. So he was like probably in, in his '60s there. So completely different. Ken Takakura was known for this genre. That's where he got his stardom and. Once the, the the genre started to fizzle out in the early '70s, and then the 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 new type of uh, Yakuza movies were coming into the fold, um, he kind of he kind of adapted and went with a few of those types of movies, and then started doing like romance movies and stuff like that. Like another big famous one that people may or may not know is um, uh, the Yellow Handkerchief, which is like a a road movie slash not a, not a romance movie but it's a guy he Ken Takakura plays a ex-convict who's trying to go back to his wife and there's a reason okay. not to spoiler not to spoil anything but he there's a reason he kind of can't initially um and it you know the japanese sense of honor always filters into almost every single one of their stories so th- that's in there um that's a that's a fr- I own that on blu-ray actually at the twilight time blu-ray and It was like limited to 3,000. I'm pretty sure it's sold out, but
1: (laughs) very nice.
0: Not to, not the, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, like, I really like Ken Takakura. I've seen 20 of his movies. Really, really like the guy.
1: Yeah. Well, for context on my end, this is the first film I've seen by any of the four leads. I have not seen a single film with Fuji, Takakura, Wakayama, or Machida.
0: Okay. So, Tommy Saburo, Wakayama is another guy we have to touch upon. Uh do you know the zatoichi movies?
1: I'm aware of them, but I I have not seen them. So I, yeah,
0: I own the Criterion uh box set, which just comes with all 25 starring Shintaro Katsu, and then well
1: Wasn't the re- that a show though?
0: Yeah, so there's oh, a, am I getting that mixed? Yeah, up? yeah so basically okay. basically Zatuichi from like the 60s to like the mid-70s is the most popular thing in Japan. I mean, Shintaro Katsu is like a a literal god to the Japanese audience. I mean, the dude can do no wrong. He's Tommy Saburo Wakayama's brother. They just have different stage names for some reason. I don't know why they didn't want to. I
1: feel like, I just have to add, I feel like I need to say God bless you every time you say Wakayama's name. It's just, it's so, is that a a bad joke? (laughs) Wakayama. Yeah. Tommy, how do you say it? Thomas Saburo, Thomas Saburo Wakayama.
0: Tommy Saburo, yeah. Well, yeah, Tommy Saburo Wakayama, and then his God brother. bless you. And then his brother's like, yeah, I'm I'm Shintaro Katsu. That's much easier to say. Um, uh, but, oh,
1: that's yeah, that's much nicer. But I mean, both of them are solid names. I just yeah, yeah. it's, it's a mouthful for sure.
0: I, I want to say Wakayama's closer to their real names and Shintaro Katsu is just completely made up like it's like John Wayne he just completely made up a, a name
1: to to cover for Marion. Yes. Yeah.
0: So Shintaro Katsu the one brother made this huge series 25 films and then I think there was a 26 like in the 80s when he was a lot older um which I haven't seen I I have owned the set of the original films and I've seen seven or eight which those are like the the Japanese Uh, film studios just cranked out series like it was their like well it was their job but they cranked it out like it was going out of style i I don't know why but i guess the audience kind of likes reoccurring this reoccurring series uh so
1: it was in the water it was in the water for the time yeah that's all
0: i'm not sure if they still do it but um i know takakura got his big starring role in um a man from abashiri prison which had 18 movies I don't wow someone needs to explain to me how you can have 18 movies about a guy breaking out of prison
1: <laughs> well
0: 18 times yeah. Ooh. I mean it, I, I don't think he almost, was in-
1: I almost I was gonna say it almost brings to question how modern cinema we all make fun of the rocky 8 or Rocky 20 or you know movies like that fast and furious what are we on 10. Yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of puts that so, stuff sort of in perspective. I mean, I know a lot of that is more focused toward marketing and the box office and just trying to make a buck when with not much else. But it's interesting to see how you're bringing up all of these shows or film shows, is what they would be called, right? And how there's eight of these or, a, you know, 25 of them as in regards to the Zatoichi ones. So it's just interesting to see how all that maybe isn't connected or is connected.
0: Yeah. I I think, I mean, Japan also released the Godzilla series, which they, yes, there's like, there's like 20 or 30 or 40 of those at this point. So they're, they're infamous for doing that. I mean, look at all their, their other alternate forms of entertainment. They're, uh, their anime shows they have you know one piece is in like the thousands it's been on since late like 1999 the, the the guys if they have a story and people like it they will continue to crank it out until people do not like it but um yeah so that's kind of the basis for the whole reason if I was saying that that's the basis for this series this entry i think the plot is much more almost classic because in the other entries in the series, um, there's always like a love interest, which Ken Takakura was uh, Sumiko Fuji's love interest in this one. Um, There's always a love interest and they always never get together for various reasons, not to spoil anything.
1: Um, Can Can I make a potentially insightful observation? Sure. This film, I don't know how many others are like it, I mean, there must be a bunch.
0: There's eight of these. I I assume they're
1: all in the same vein.
0: There's hundreds like it.
1: Hundreds, right? Okay. So to me, the plot felt very melodramatic and the acting even feels melodramatic. So these types of films almost feel like they would be the Japanese equivalent of, of a soap opera, but not so much turned up you know, I don't think everything's turned up or cranked up to that sort of emotion level. Maybe in certain moments they are, but in the way that they're, these are series, and how they just kept making them, and the the quantity, the volumes, and and the fact that it's melodramatic at its at its core makes me make that connection. I don't know how far off I am with that, but it sort of makes sense in my head. Yeah, I can, I can see it. I just think. The, obviously I, it's different because you don't have like I don't believe you have the gangsters in your normal soap operas but you have you have the revenge plots you have sort of almost like a noir sensibility where you have double crosses and triple crosses and there's probably moments where there's absurdities to it as well but yeah, that so, just makes sense in my head so yeah.
0: that's just kind of the I think one of the not I think that's just one of the hallmarks of Japanese uh, storytelling is there's always got to be, there's always got to be some type of melodrama uh, for whatever set pieces they're, they're producing and, and, and showing. So I, I would say for this one, specifically this movie, excuse me, I think that this movie is special because there's not many movies in Japanese cinema especially at this time with a female lead. I mean, she
1: definitely not. She,
0: so there's this, there's this, it's timely, even though this episode is being released in 2023, we're at the very end stages of 2022 and a piece of news that just came out, which is, it's kind of timely for me picking this movie is um, Jennifer Lawrence's comments uh, a couple weeks ago about how she was the first, female action star of all time or something crazy like that. And then
1: I had no idea she said that.
0: Yeah. She's a clear narcissistic, egotistical idiot, but regard- she,
1: she really said that. What about, come on. What about Uma Thurman and kill Bill?
0: Well, that's like, come yeah. On. What about Sigourney Weaver at aliens? What about An alien. Angela, yeah. Angela Mao and all the seventies Kung Fu movies from the Hong Kong. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely oh, man. ridiculous claim. That is, but yeah. my, my, my point of bringing that up is in this movie and in the entire series, there's this, there's this struggle in, in Sumiko Fuji's character, which her character's name is, um, so that she has two names. She has like her traveling gambler name, which is Oriu, the red peony, which is, in, re- uh, that's in reference to the tattoo, her Yakuza tattoos on her shoulder are the, the two red flowers and yes. her real name, which is Ryoko. So there's this, there's this in her character, there's this very big struggle between feminine and masculine. And I think that's just kind of, for whatever reason, she became a star in like 65, 66. And then they just went with her because they knew she was guaranteed money guaranteed box office hit
1: well she's gorgeous
0: oh shit she's a very very beautiful woman
1: so that that helps yeah and you you bring up the tattoos i know that's to her character in the movie but the moment that that happens and she reveals the tattoos i i was like i had to like wring my collar a little bit it was like it was getting a little hot oh yeah i was not expecting that and it was truly effective for the type of character arc they were going for here. Oh, and, and
0: in the, in the sixties in Japan, that's basically pornography. <laughs>
1: like she, that, she, I, I can see that.
0: She like yeah. pull, pulls down her, her, Just comi- down her kimono, shoulder. Her like, kimono I mean, comes down. Like she's wearing like a normal, like a wedding dress from a, a woman today. Like it's not even that far down, but there's, you know, no,
1: it's not even that far down, but she's showing off skin and, part of part of it too is just the tattoo it was sort of it was surprising well yeah the to the tattoos kind of feed into my comments
0: about um feminine versus masculine because like the tattoos right now in japan like having tattoos is like serious like the police will be watching you if you have tattoos no matter what like if you're a westerner and go over there they're highly sensitive to tattoos like you go to a um one of their Uh. their hot springs or whatever like you have to cover your tattoos up. That's how strict they are. Cause the Yakuza laws, like that's part of it. Like Yakuza have tattoos. It's just well-known. It's a fact. So her having tattoos kind of feeds into this feminine, masculine tug of war because she, she's assuming, she's trying to assume her father's role as the head of the, the, uh, Yano family, um, the gambling family. And, She's a, not. It's not like they're, she's not allowed to, but it's kind of extremely frowned upon by, like, almost everyone that she comes across. Right. So, well, so she she finds out her father dies around, you know, I think she's 18, 19, 20, something like that. And, like, yeah. she gives, like, there's this little intro. Then there's a, a flashback explaining the backstory with the father getting killed. And then, yes. and then she's, you know, this 23, 24-year-old highly highly um, renowned gambler in the area i guess in the prefecture she's in like people all know her by oreo oreo (laughs) oreo oreo the uh red peony because of her tattoos i don't don't, mean i don't think she shows her tattoos off that's just i guess how she's known by um and there's a bunch of shots in the film with with the um with the flowers actually they're white and at one point someone's blood gets sprayed on them and that was pretty symbolic uh, pretty cool
1: yeah i mean while we're talking about it now i i kind of dug into it a little bit i like i like looking at imagery and what certain obvious symbols could mean i guess peonies have a bunch of symbols and they could vary depending on what color they are well you can edu- i, you I can, believe
0: you can educate me on that because i i had besides looking up the video on YouTube for two minutes of some Southern man and his botanist show explaining to me how to say the word, i know nothing about peonies.
1: Got to look up how to say peonies, right? So, yeah. So I'm still saying, I'm still saying it wrong. I know peonies, 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 everybody listening, everybody listening. Yeah. Apologies up front.
0: Red, red peony gambler. There you go.
1: Red peony gambler. All right. Yeah. So, I looked this up a little bit. Peonies have, they're derived, it's actually derived from the Latin word peonia, which is also a form of the Greek word peonia. Not sure if I'm even saying those right, but they're spelled differently. And there were basically a bunch of gods that um, testified to the plant's healing qualities because peonies, all the roots, the seeds, and the flowers were all frequently used in medicine. Okay, so um, and in as a general symbol, peonies were a sign of happy marriage, symbolized honor, all that good stuff. So they were generally a good symbol. However, it was also believed that it once you had the peony and if the flower if the flower petals started to come off, it was considered bad luck. So sort of interesting how that changes quite drastically so if you can see the the petals start to fall off you have to brace yourself for disaster is what uh is what i was reading now there's the different colors that i guess each one means something different so pink peonies i read symbolize the beauty of marriage no there were no pink peonies in in this film in the film correct me if i'm wrong ben this one only had red White and black?
0: I don't remember the black, but you're correct on the other two counts.
1: Okay, so maybe I'm misremembering on that. Um, so the white is overwhelmingly positive. Uh sorry, I had that wrong. A lot of the other colors are overwhelmingly overwhelmingly positive. White is not so much. Usually if you give someone white peonies, it means there's regret. Somewhere, regret or shyness. Um hmm. Very interesting. And yeah, it's it's sort of like all these. I don't know if any of these things actually mean anything to the film. Um, I mean, it's of very, course, when you look into symbols, you can always apply. You can always apply things to make them fit. You I mean, know, it's very. Well, um, it's
0: very possible that this flower is literally used. I mean, it, it's it's it's. I believe it's a Chinese flower from my two minutes of education on YouTube. I believe it's a Chinese flower and it, you know, obviously it's made it. So it's, it's made its way around the world. And in the sixties, if the Japanese are using it in a movie title, it's probably been there for a long time. Um, So maybe, yeah. they maybe that's a typical symbol. I'm not sure, but that, I mean, that's super interesting. I didn't even think to look that up.
1: I mean, just, just a broad, so just to encompass or encapsulate everything I just said, Peonies are positive symbols. If someone gives you one, it means good luck. If it starts to dry up and shrivel, then that means you have to embrace yourself for something terrible to happen. So, so that sounds pretty typical to me with a lot of Eastern culture. Um, I'm not. There's probably a lot more to uh, to all of that and what they mean in Chinese culture specifically, and and Chinese and Japanese culture. And that's just my brief little interlude into the symbolism there. There's really not much of a application towards marriage or anything in this movie.
0: So, well, I would say, I, I would say there is subliminally. If okay. you take, take the context of what I was just saying and what you just said, we'll put those together and make something awesome. So let's do it. The feminine, the feminine versus masculine, it is the feminine versus masculine. What's that? Didactic, I guess, or the... Dichotomy is juxt- the word
1: you're looking for. Right?
0: Dichotomy. The,
1: or are you just talking about comparing the two? So you would juxtaposition?
0: Juxtaposed, di- dichotomy, either or. They both work in this sense. But the entire series, she's judged for being a woman. From She goes from town to town. That's the whole traveling gambler spiel. Is Each story is kind of episodic and... There are a couple of reoccurring characters. One being Tomi Saburo Wakayama, and the other I forget her name. It's it's the other lady uh, yakuza with the the wimpy son. I forget, or maybe uh, I'm
1: I'm not sure. I'm it, gonna be able it, to it, help you there. I can I can try. It, and- it's
0: no big deal. It's no big deal. Uh, it's 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 inconsequential. But my okay. my whole point is she's she's given hard times by new groups of men everywhere she goes. She's judged right and away obviously. There are men constantly throwing themselves at her or trying to, you know, for lack of a better term, take advantage of her or I mean I think at one point they someone says more than one point probably someone says they're going to rape her and she probably ends up killing them or something. I mean she's a badass with the with the blade so she definitely doesn't get taken advantage of but right. some p- men the men in the the sleazy yakuza in the movies do want to do that. So there's always this pack this uh tug of war back and forth between her like wanting to be like you know wanting to act on her feminine sensibilities but at the same time she's like I am I'm taking over my father's I'm taking up my father's job as oya boon of the yano family so now I'm basically a man. So that <laughs> compared with what you just said and also what I already had written down. Yeah. Um, and this, this is actually was in my red sun, uh, collaboration review that we did a few months ago on letterbox.
1: No, nice. So callback.
0: in the Ninkyo, Iga genre, there's always, and, and even samurai genre, Chambara, all the, they're in a lot of Japanese movies, but it's really at the heart of this genre is the Giri ninja. Um, Dichotomy. So giri is duty. And in terms of Yakuza, the duty would be the duty to your clan. And okay. ninja is your own, ninja is your own interest. And again, there's, I think, I think the ninja, if you go, if you deep dive into the meaning, I think it means more like your, your natural conscience and, uh, you know, n- knowing what you want to do for yourself. And then the giri is kind of just, knowing what the quote unquote right thing to do is, um, in an actual literal translation, I think. So there's always this, this, uh, duty that, that a lot of characters always have. Like remember her, uh, I forget, I know the translation is blowfish, but one of her disciples is like, no matter what, he's going to follow her. He's not going to marry. He's not going to do anything. Because he's going to follow his Oya boon and sacrifice his life for her. So that's kind of the, the Geary part. And she and uh, her character, Sumiko Fuji, uh, Fuji's character, Ryoko, or Uryu, is always struggling with her sense of duty. And then her ninja and her own interests of more or less, it's always being with a man. So in this movie, it's Ken Takakura. Yes. In in a couple of the movie. so. It's Ken Takakura here. I think he might be in one one other movie in in the eight movies, which he's playing somebody else, which is funny. Then <laughs> Bunta Sugawara, who's another very big, famous. Uh, when I say very big, he's very big in the in the the Yakuza genre, um, especially the 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 new agey kind that are all nihilistic. He was a big star there, but he made his his debut in these ninkyo movies he's he's a he's in the two of the movies one as a villain and and another one as a love interest and then uh another actor named koji koji su suro it's always hard to say these names because it's it's not phonetically in english but it's surota um surota koji surota and he's in again ninko ninkyo movies and the jitsuruku or i think that's the new term yeah for the the, the nihilistic the more nihilistic films okay. so she has all the, all these love interests throughout the series and the bottom line is she it's not a spoiler because it's just a kind of genre trope at this point is you're never going to get with your love interest because it's against your duty and also there's other actions or there's other forces against them. And that's usually a a group of bad guys trying to kill them and enough said, but I think that it's really, it's really interesting that
1: that, well, it's interesting that you're making that connection. I, I, that's, that's fascinating. And, and when you say duty, you don't necessarily mean the code that the Yakuza live by.
0: Well, no, duty would be duty that, that code, the code of Bushido, which is for the samurai. They, they have a, they have a code and there's plenty of movies that, that critique the Bushido code. I mean, that are very anti just stark following of a code and being more individual. Um, and a really big part of the duty is during world war two. I mean, the Japanese film industry, made all their movies and they, they basically censored a lot of the things that made uh, like they censored a lot of stuff and made sure everything was about one's duty to their country. So that a bunch of young men would go out and basically kamikaze themselves for the country. And that's why a lot of the critique in the fifties and sixties and even past that, but it's, it's mostly the sixties are very anti-Western, very anti non-traditional like they're they they want they want traditional japanese culture they're they don't like the if you notice in this movie one of the characters aka i mean the the bad guy yeah the first see the first scene you see him and he's wearing a suit right that that's on purpose and he's actually a corrupt he's a he's a a, a gambler who who uh can we spoil the plot or should we not uh I, I'm not gonna spoil it yeah, so no, basically regardless it. of the yeah regardless of his involvement in the plot he is a gambler who made his way up from nothing and now at some point in the movie he he like basically tells I I forget who he tells but he tells someone hey like next year I'm running for for like mayor or something of of whatever town they're in like yeah. it's, and he's he's pretty I mean he's corrupt so there's there, there's always this um critical lens in japanese filmmaking in that era that they do not like corrupt politicians they do not like people that are um anti japanese they do not like people that are anti um worker i mean it's very much like the politics of the time and, commentary and you can see is that
1: in, very much up front it's not hidden it's always this, oh the social it's always this one is
0: this one it has almost nothing compared to the this the following seven okay they are very, very socio politically um, aware. Let's just say it's 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 right on the like they don't even waste time. It's right on it's right on their sleeve. You can see it. So do you and think there, there's no?
1: Do you think having seen all eight? Do you think that that improves the experience for these movies, or does not improve the experience for these movies? So I, I think it's a
0: good series. I I like this one uh, originally, not this. Yeah, whatever. I'll just say it. Originally I rated this a 9 after and I watched this 2 years ago, I think, for okay. the first time.
1: Yep. Okay. If
0: I were to if I were to watch all the Japanese movies I've seen in different orders, I probably would not give this a 9, but I'm going to keep it at a 9 for now because it really is it, it's a good entry in this series specifically because there's not as much political stuff up front and on the sleeve. And it's more of a straight story of just revenge and corruption and betrayal. And I kind of, I kind of, I kind of tend to gravitate towards that um, type of story, but I do like the other ones because even though those, those political kind of, Most of the time they're suggestive, but I think in one or two, it's just outright, like, so a character says, yeah, a character says, like, X, Y, Z, you should think this, and the other character is arguing with them, and it's just, it's just, it's in the dialogue. I mean, it's pretty, uh, uh, it's blatant.
1: Lots of exposition, Um, probably. But,
0: yes, but I, I, I I honestly think that if you didn't, if you didn't uh, know the politics of the time, you'd probably just miss it so that's
1: that's a fair comment
0: and 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 a lot of this a lot of this has to do with me just kind of reading up a lot on this kind of stuff and listening to podcasts on it and i just really japanese cinema is like one of those it's one of those treasure troves of of our hobby or you know our, our love honestly i mean i really do like love i love movies they've mean they mean a lot to me but like Japanese cinema to me means a lot because I know a lot more than a lot of other people because it's no one watches it over here that I mean the audiences are totally different yeah. uh, the Japanese audiences and the western audiences specifically british and american are totally opposite we we do not like the same i mean they borrow from each other to a degree but when it comes to people pleasing they're going to they're going to do t- completely different things
1: that's interesting Yeah, it's an interesting breakdown to look at it that way,
0: and and that's kind of why my comments on Kurosawa before like he wasn't popular with the the Japanese people because of all this kind of social stuff, the socio political stuff. So he's just recent. When I say recently, like in the eighties and nineties, he started getting more popular in Japan, but back then he was kind of just like a. No one kind of paid attention to him, but he was more popular probably over here at the time with critics, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, but K- Kurosawa also feels not so much sociopolitical, but westernized in the sense of the literal genre. So what we mentioned before, as as far as adapting the noir tendencies, black and white photography, that was a little bit sharper even the camera angles feel a little bit different. I I think that's more of what he sort of tended to, as opposed to blatant messaging. I think I, it's absolutely there, but I think it's, I think it's a little different or at least it could be looked at from another angle. If that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, there's unlimited angles to be looking at th- these things. I mean, it's, it's Yeah. The, ana- the analysis is endless, honestly. If, if you want it to end, it will end. If you don't want it to end, it never will. Um, yeah. So, so Mike, Tomi Saburo Wakayama. God bless you. Alright, cool. Uh, I was making sure I'm getting that. <laughs> um yeah. So, he's... When we were talking about series earlier, you've heard of Lone Wolf and Cub, right?
1: I've heard of it.
0: Yeah, he's the, he's the, the lead in that. So... His brother had Z- Zatoichi, which was hugely popular. Yes. He had Lone Wolf and Cub in the 70s, and that is a total exploitive sleaze fest. Was not popular at the time with Japanese audiences. It is super opposite. I mean, it's not Interesting. It's very it's very exploitive. It's almost I mean, I like them. They're well made movies. They're shot well. They're not like cheap, but they're I would I would I would classify them as schlock, and okay. I do think you might you may or may not enjoy them, but they also are I I believe those movies are pretty uh, critical of the Bushido code and a lot of those type of films at the time. Again, you can you can kind of bend a film's meaning to your will uh, after sixty years because things have so many things have happened in, in the time you can kind of. All right. Well, I'm going to apply this to my, what I my my ideology. You can and,
1: absolutely apply it to your worldview and.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. So it, th- that's what I think that at the time that's why it wasn't popular with those audiences. But now, I mean, it's got a huge cult following. Criterion released the box set for that, which I I own because I of course I bought it half price at one of their sales a year or two ago. Of course you did. Many, I don't. Even, I think I just cracked. I took the plastic off like a couple weeks ago, and I never, I still haven't seen any of it. But um, oh man, no, I highly recommend. Maybe we'll cover one of those. I I wouldn't cover the first one though, because I'm sure so many people, so many other people have. But again, it just goes to show, like all these big stars in Japan at in the mid '60s to mid '70s. It's just. They all were in their own series. They they had. And, and these series aren't like, oh, there's one every year and a half. Like they're cranking out a movie every three to six months. They're
1: pumping them out. I looked at the Red Peony Gamblers, even, even those eight. And there was the it's first like four one years. In, well, the first one was in 68. I think they pumped out two or three in 69. And then the fourth or fifth one came out in 1970. Um, I, I was impressed. Fast turnaround, anyway. Yeah, I mean, they
0: are... Am I am I correct on those years? I, I, you're very close. I, I'm off the top of my head, I think it's maybe 2 in 68. Okay. 3 okay. in 69, 2 in 70, and then there might be... Like, they slowed down, and uh, not to spoil the series for everyone, there's not really a definitive ending to the character's arc. It's just like, there's a bunch of episodic things, and the last one kind of just... There's no ending. Like, she's she's still doing her thing. Um, Fuji so I, is in all of them. Yes. Yeah. So she's in all of them. Like I said earlier, the love interests always change. Um, there's a lot of, yeah. I think Ken, uh, Tom, Tommy Suburo, Wakayama. Yes. Oh, uh, you didn't say God bless you. That <laughs> God time. bless you. All right. Sorry. Uh, I didn't know if that's going to get he, old or not. No. So, so he's in. He's in, I want to say he's in all of them or he's in all of them, but one,
1: he but basically a, oh no, no, he's mustache. in, he's in all, all right, I, I just have to say, he's got a crazy mustache.
0: So, so that, yeah, he's an, uh, I'll finish what I'm going to say and then I'll, I'll address that. Okay. So he's in all, he's in all of them actually. And he's a reoccurring character. And so in this movie, he's like this, his character is, there's this Japanese trope for like people to have. Red noses, red faces, and just like ridiculous. It's like supposed to be cartoonish. I think. Very, and very, the, it very much
1: comes across that way.
0: Yeah. And his mustache, his mustache is fake. His his freckles all over his face are fake. Hey. That's drawn on. Okay. His haircut is. He looks like his his haircut looks like a Japanese version of Mo from the Three Stooges. Yes. Uh,
1: With a Hitler mustache. Uh,
0: <laughs> It, you can't go without saying it it is what it is but he's just just yeah. he he's this he's this boss of this gang that or gets involved with and he's like falling all over her like he just is in love with her and he's the not a, not a good looking dude without the makeup i mean he's he's a he's kind of a rough uh, shintaro katsu got the better looks of the family slightly he's still not like a huge looker but more charming for sure but his brother just Yeah. Yeah. Not a good looking dude. So he's, she, she, he's falling all over. And at one point, he's like, you know, they're talking about, um, like one of the, uh, ceremonies is to like drink, like I guess to get married, you drink, uh, wine together and the Yakuza to become brothers, you drink, you drink together too. So he's like, hey, can you drink this with me? She's like sure, but she thinks that it's from a business perspective, but he thinks it's a love perspective, and it's a misunderstanding. Yeah. yeah. So like he's they they become brothers, quote unquote, and the rest of the the series, he's always like coming in to like help her in situations, and he's like a big boss in Osaka. Um, so again, the series is the series is good, but I, I do think there are weak points. And you don't need to watch all eight. I would watch the first and the last for sure. And um, I mean, oh heck, watch them all. Well, can I, can I say they're... something
1: about uh, weak points? So sure. um just watching, and we talked about this with big country. There's, there's a blocking a lot of, you know, good blocking going on here. So on the contrary, there's also a few scenes where it, felt weird to me and what i mean by that is in a lot of the fight scenes you have fuji where she whips out a gun right which i think is i think it's that part's brilliant i think her carrying a gun is great um and it makes sense because she's a lone woman against all of these other men so having the gun kind of gives her a little bit of an edge in some of these scenarios. However, in some, in these same scenarios, there is some weird blocking going on. And what I mean by that is it almost feels like when she's alone and she's surrounded, it feels like any of these guys could take her down, but they don't because they read the script. It's just one of those things where you kind of have to have a suspension of disbelief. Uh, that's
0: the Jap- that's the Japanese way, man. Yeah. Like there's so many so many examples of one against like eight and <laughs> yeah. I, I call I, I call this the I call this the even though this movie came out before, it's the Bruce Lee syndrome. Uh, okay. So in a lot of Bru- in a lot of Bruce Lee movies, you'll just see him fighting like 50 dudes, but they all go up one at a time. It's like that doesn't make sense. Right. He's one guy. Yeah, it's you exactly. could go and all just yeah, all of you might pile on. He might like, I don't know, an, an extreme situation. He'll punch th- two or three of you right in the nose with the, enough pressure to kill you, maybe. But like 50 of you, I think you can tackle this guy. Exactly. So I, I think that in the Japanese, um, in that world of of their, their framing it that way, these Yakuza guys are kind of pussies, and they're not supposed to be good fighters. Like they all just have a knife to defend themselves, but they're not actually all like trained. Yeah. And I think she's supposed to be trained, and you can tell Ken Takakura's character. I mean, he's a he's 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 really close to being a samurai with his sword uh, s- sword skills. He is. He's yeah. very he's very tough. Um, and that's kind of there's kind of a. For, I'm looking for the word formula, to all these movies where at the end there's always this huge fight where it's it's ridiculous odds and they somehow come out on top. And that's just kind of... They they come out on top, but there's always obviously collateral damage. You, you don't just yeah. get away with it. And that's Japanese movies, uh, at least the nin, Ninkyo um, genre, and then the Jitsuruko they definitely have, they're not like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to get away scot-free like it's an 80s Hollywood right. production. No, n- right. no, 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 no.
1: Well, it's, it's, inter- it's just interesting. Your point's a, a pretty good one about how the ganging up syndrome, as you have phrased it, is possibly used to show the difference in the caliber of their fighting. I never really thought of it like that but it still feels it it does still feel a little bit like a weak spot as far as blocking choice by the director and and maybe it's not so much a bad thing if you if you if you dig the this genre of movie and you just don't really care it's a bunch of people fighting one person you just want to see the one person take them all out fair enough i'm not going to i'm not going to stop you from enjoying that it's one thing that just kind of stuck in my head and i had trouble getting beyond that Suspension of disbelief there.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, this, I would, I was, I was going to say that this director, um, Kosaku Yamashita, I have not seen all his movies. I have one actually on Blu ray order. They just released, um, what's it called? Uh, I was just reading about it. Regardless, they have a a movie coming out that's like supposed to be his masterpiece, and it's like five years after this movie. So I'm assuming. I'm assuming this was just a weak effort on, I don't know who choreographed, like this isn't Hong Kong choreographing. It's very much rough. Yes. And I think that, it, I think that this one is the roughest. I do think this is the roughest finale fight of all the movies.
1: I, okay. But I, st- That's-
0: I still just, no, I, I, I totally, totally can see where you're coming from. And I'm going to admit right now, I just, you know, I can overlook it. Because I just
1: yeah hey fair enough and more power to you that way too I'm I'm glad you can um I do want to give credit to Takakura's Kuro's character with uh, yes. how he ends in the final fight with I don't know if we should just say it you want to just say it it's fine right well I mean the
0: the 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 spoiler was kind of already spoiled because I already said she never gets with the guy and there's okay. always a reason okay. Okay. usually. You can go right. go ahead.
1: Well, I just want to say that I love how Takakura and comes into the final fight with a sword and just a bag of dynamite or sticks of dynamite in his waistband and he's just chucking them one way or the other. And that see, that's the kind of interesting thing, because that part of the fight also makes sense to me. She's got a gun, he's got explosives. They're against all these people with swords. It makes perfect sense. Cause now you have a range you have a ranged weapon and you have explosives. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, and then and then the blocking was, feels like it just let me down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean
0: that wasn't. Yeah. That was. Takakura had the blade. I think you're thinking of Machida. Your, your boy Machida. Oh. Okay. Machida. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting the yeah. But you But but no. You're right. Um. They always have in a lot of these movies. There's always some kind of. There's a huge disadvantage with the the good guys have a huge disadvantage, and then they somehow make it up with some kind of it. Well dynamite isn't super wacky i'm assuming i for i mean it's been i've taken two years to watch all eight of these films i'm not just sitting down watching all eight in a row that yeah, would yeah. not not be the most fun but i'm assuming there's other kind of wackier ways they get a one-up on the bad guys but yeah i mean i do enjoy like she just pulls out the gun and just starts shooting people like
1: well and i that's i think that I don't know if it was clear when I brought this up the first time. I thought it was interesting that they had her use a gun. A, because she's disadvantaged against the group of people, but also because she's a female among men. She's not going to overpower any of these guys. So having the gun is just, it's smart. Like it it just feels like it's good. It's good writing. Yeah. I mean, it it
0: wouldn't make total sense if, uh, I mean, Japanese people are on average are already kind of small people and she's a woman. So she's probably like five, three and she's going up against a bunch of six foot dudes.
1: Right. Right.
0: They could, pro- they could probably take her with the, all the knives they have, but yeah. she always, she, she's got that gun and that's the equalizer.
1: It, exactly. That's a perfect way to put hey. it. it hey, that, that's exactly right. And
0: have, having a guns an equalizer. Leave it at that. Leave it,
1: leave <laughs> it at that. Um, <laughs> Also cool to mention that I do love how her character had the knife in her hair and she whips it out, throws it at the guy.
0: Yeah, I do dig that. I do. I do mean, that too. that's <laughs> just, that's so there's that, uh, trope in all of her movies. She's got that blade. And then there's actually, um, a movie with Bunta Sugawara, who, if you see a picture of him, you might recognize him just from seeing, uh, Poster art on Letterbox, but um, so he's in a movie. In a, it, there's a, a two movies he's in that was supposed to be a series that only had two movies, and I think the first one's called Cold Wind Monjiro. and he plays a, a traveling gambler, and he has this huge like six inch toothpick in his mouth, and in both movies he ends he ends up spitting it out in someone's eye like twice. It's awesome. Oh,
1: that is awesome. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I, I don't know why like that just think it's it's funny but at the same time you're not, like the first time you watch it you're not expecting it and you see it and you're like holy shit like <laughs> okay weird. i guess that that makes sense like why why would you not like you surprise you just start the fight by surprising your your attackers by attacking them first it's perfect
1: wow what so what movie was that with the with the guy with the 6 inch to- toothpick
0: um i want to say it's cold wind Manjiro. What, um, what year? 69, 70, 70, 71, somewhere in there. Um and a- it also has an alter it also has an alternate title like The Withering Tree. They have some weird Japanese titles. Yeah, Withered Tree, The Adventures of Manjiro was the first one and then there's a second one. Um
1: now, now is this character with the toothpick is this an iconic character or is this just sort of a, a henchman that gets Tossed aside after a few
0: minutes. Uh, Oh no, he's the uh, the main character.
1: Okay, main character. So interesting.
0: And there, so there's that movie, the second movie, and then I think there was a 1993 uh, remake movie that I haven't seen. I want to see it. But there was also again, this is one of those. So Japanese series movies was a thing, but also like the like you said about Zatoichi the TV shows are even bigger. So I think the, the Kogorashi Manjiro character had a TV show and that's why they, they took it away from Buntasugawara, who was a huge draw at the time. I mean, he was just in Fukusaku's battles without um, honor and humanity, which were very successful, which I don't, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a huge fan of them, but I, okay. I know why they're successful. Sure. I mean, they're worth watch. They're worth watching once because it's just, when you want to talk to me about sloppy fighting, go watch that movie and come back and talk to me. <laughs> okay. It's like in that movie, those guys. It's like those actors were, were never trained on how to shoot a gun because they're literally like whipping it back and forth. I'm like, and not looking like where they're shooting. It's pretty hilarious, actually. But that's great. Um, that's great. I think it's just supposed to like show how how crazy that type of that yakuza fights would would be but i think it's a little over the top and there's a lot of shake cam like reminds me of like uh a, uh what's his name paul greengrass or whoever did the Bourne movies with all the shake cam shit like i can't deal with it anymore i've yeah. seen too much of it yeah um but yeah my whole point was i think the japanese television combined with i was reading in um in a book that i have that the reason that this genre died was because uh, Sumiko Fuji literally retired. After at, at the she reti- episodes? No, no. She she finished that movie. And then like two years later, she she was in like hundreds of movies or maybe, maybe not hundred, maybe 80. I don't know. But I think she just uh, married somebody and was like, all right, I'm done.
1: And then walked away from it.
0: She walked away from it. And then I think she came back. Three more times uh, in a movie with Takakura, who he, she starred in a lot of movies with him. So she came back in like 1989 with a, a, a rom com called Buddies, which I have. I haven't watched it yet, but I I really want to at some point. Okay. Um, and then she was in some. She was in a movie in the like the late 90s about I think it's Geisha House or.
1: Well, I was just I'm, looking it. Up. If I'm not mistaken, I think she also worked with obayashi in 2012 in casting blossoms to the sky yeah she did she's sort of like 10th build there um but i'm a, I'm a little bit more familiar with uh obayashi's filmography so and that one's on my that one's in my watch list
0: yeah that's on my. i think i had that to watch too but yeah she's been in so she retired, and then it looks like she came back. And of course, the book I'm reading is from like 2003. So, um, okay. okay. So, yeah, she was a yeah, dated, she was a but... she was a voice actor in Summer Wars, which is an anime movie from like late 2000s that was really successful. Yeah, she 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 came back, but I think she just in the 70s, like she's probably 30, 32 years old when she retires the first time. And she probably just wanted to have a family and kids. And then once she had a 15 to 20 year old, she's probably all right. My kids are grown up. I can come back now.
1: Right. A little bit more scarce, but she, she probably participated more. Yeah.
0: I've only seen her in this series and that, well, again, I heard her as a voice actor in that movie, uh, some summer Wars, but other than that, I haven't seen any of her other stuff. So, and I really like her after seeing this series because she's not one, not only super attractive, but two, she's like got an amazing screen presence. She really uh, does. she really, she really that, does. That, that that gaze, man. I mean, she could just drill right through you, like Superman with his uh, laser beam eyes. Just poof, like yeah. you're dead.
1: Yeah, yeah, for for sure. That's part of the iconic nature of her character and how she holds down every scene she's in yeah um, i mean
0: without her this this series would have not done as well i mean she I, I i think she's the biggest draw like yeah i like ken takakura and the other actors i mentioned earlier in the other films like i like all those guys i like watching their films but i'd i'm coming to this series for uh sumiko fuji
1: yeah yeah i'd agree with you and that's that's the reason why uh, we should, we would advertise it that way to any of our listeners that if you're seeing this movie, you're seeing it for Samika Fuji um, and how you have a woman in the spotlight um, in a Yakuza film.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. don't listen to, don't listen to J law. Uh, women yeah. have been starring in movies for a while. Oh, Sorry. Jennifer we, Lawrence. We, we, Yeah. Just completely grade a idiot uh, or i think she was just purposely lying but regardless i highly recommend the series and i'm sure there are there are probably other fem- female led yakuza movies that i just don't know of because all the japanese stu- studios literally hold their cards to their chest so much that they they don't want to release anything like getting anything over here as a, on a western release is impossible unless it's like been picked up by Criterion or Arrow or what, you know, yeah. again, battles, battles without um, honor and humanity, uh, street thug, um, th- there's just a lot of like, okay, here's like 10 or 15 movies that or or maybe 20 movies that all of us can see, but that's not the entire genre. You're not, you're not covering all your bases. You're just giving like, that's a taste breadcrumb. Yeah. Just breadcrumbs. So, I, I, I could talk about Japanese cinema for way too long. So, I'm cutting myself off. And if you have anything else to say, I'm well, going to say that you should say it. And also, I want to, you to, to uh, give your list. I, I give this movie a 9. Okay. Um, if I were to watch it now for the first time versus... all I, I've watched a lot of Japanese cinema in the last two years. If I would have watched it first now versus before, it probably would be like a seven and a half, eight but I'm still, I'm going to keep it at a nine. It is essential for anyone getting into the genre.
1: Very nice. Very nice. I do want to go back just a smidge to our toothpick guy that you brought up. I wanted to make an, an irrelevant connection because I just watched Cobra with Sylvester Stallone the other night and uh, his character He's he's sort of, he's iconic because he's got the toothpick in his mouth and the trivia for that movie. I believe it's the trivia to that movie or it was somewhere else that I read it, but, uh, Nicholas W. Refin, the guy who directed drive, he took inspiration from Sylvester Stallone's character in Cobra to his main character in drive, Ryan Gosling's character in drive with the toothpick in the mouth, like the whole movie. And when you said this guy had a, he was the main character in that movie and he had a six inch toothpick in his mouth. Part of me just immediately went to Cobra. And I'm really curious to know if there's some sort of vague inspirational connection between that character and Cobra and then Ryan Gosling's character in Drive, since they're all toothpick wielding dudes. Maybe, uh,
0: maybe Sugawara. His character inspired somebody else and then that character inspired i I don't think that Reffin saw this movie because I just it just got like kind of
1: yeah I'm not uh, even saying that he saw that movie, but even if he was inspired by Cobra, which was inspired, you know someone from who made Cobra saw that Japanese flick could be more believable but It's possible. You know, it just seems like there's an interesting... It's another instance of East and Western things converging. And, of course, I'm just kind of spouting out nonsense, which it it could be nonsense, but it it stuck in my mind when you said it. It's
0: it's an observation. An observation, Um, nonetheless. It's very... I mean, if that were true, that'd be pretty freaking awesome. Because I love that movie. Um, highly recommend it. And if you need a, if you need it, I can probably get it to you. Um, I It's probably on you. It's probably on YouTube. Could but be on YouTube. There's a lot of there's a lot of Japanese stuff on YouTube. Yeah, Toei and Toho, and unless it's Godzilla or like some really, you know, art, you know, award festival. Level crap, like we don't get anything, we're starved of our Japanese cinema. It's crazy,
1: yeah. So, I just want to say that my entire background with Japanese cinema was when COVID hit. I had seen some before, but it was scarce. Um, Miyazaki was the one I had basically seen in all his films up to that point, and the one Japanese director I could say that I was very knowledgeable of. But when COVID hit, I had discovered Hiroshi Teshiagara, and he instantly became one of my favorite filmmakers. He has a pretty finite filmography. He's got eight films, I believe, that are fictional feature films. And then the remainder of his filmography are all documentaries. And um, he's the guy who did the Oscar nominated picture in 1964 for a foreign language film called woman woman in the dunes a phenomenal film um but anyway i'm 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 sort of rambling here that he was my whole introduction further into japanese cinema and um basically him akira kurosawa and miyazaki are probably my strengths i i know quite i've seen quite a bit of ozu too i i haven't seen a lot of the popular stuff I started to work Ozu's filmography chronologically, believe it or not. So I've seen, I've seen, I think most of his silent films. um, A lot of his early stuff. I have to get into his later stuff, which I know is the acclaimed portion of his filmography. Getting, not a fan. Getting back into Red Peony Gambler, I'll say that I loved the melodrama. Melodrama is just one of my things. So... If a film has it and does it right or it hits a chord with me, it's usually going to be a positive note. I love melodrama. So that was a win. Sumiko Fuji's a win. I think the other three guys, the other three leads behind her are also wins Takukuro, Wakayama, and Machida. Um, I think the plot does get a little bit confusing. And I think the biggest knock for it for me is the blocking and the sort of gang gang up syndrome that we spoke about. so yeah if you can if you can get and look over that any to any of our listeners, if you can look over those things, you're probably gonna love the movie um, for me, I think that's what's gonna knock it down a few points i'm I'm sort of sitting at a out of five stars here i'm I'm thinking out a three or a three and a half so translating that to like a six or a seven out of ten. I think that's where I'm gonna okay. end up being. I don't know exactly which one I'm gonna end up on yet. Um, I'm still gonna write a review on Letterbox, a little a little blurb. Um, awesome. But I think that's my I think that's my whole take on it. I really liked I really liked the reveal of her tattoos. That that's a highlight of the movie for sure. Not to blow it out of proportion, but I think it's I think it's one of the best moments of the movie. On top this- of What Uh, did what what
0: did what did you think of that soundstage they use with like the the sunset, the fake sunset in the background? And then do you remember that? I do
1: remember that. And then
0: and then that goes away like in the next it goes away like in two scene like, you know, (laughs) so two minutes, two minutes later, it's gone.
1: It's so it's sort of ridiculous, but that, believe it or not, didn't bother me. I I actually kind of I kind of liked it. Um,
0: Oh, yeah, which.
1: Right, I mean, is that what you were going for, or were you expecting me to? Oh, that yeah, yeah.
0: I oh, know, I liked it. Okay. I liked it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I liked it too. I liked it too. So, I think those are my thoughts. Really, you you bring a lot more to the table with with this genre, especially, um, and you definitely know a lot more about Japanese cinema than I do. At least you're 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 farther into it than I am. I think i've I've only really struck specific veins of japanese cinema and those veins aren't very deep yeah
0: unfortunately it's very hard to get into you're you're only going to get the popular stuff that has been released over here that people will pay like the amount of money Toei and toho and nikatsu and all those other companies that make movies like they're just difficult as hell for distributors to deal with they to get a movie over here from them is impossible, so the only way you can see it is if you get lucky enough to see it in the theater or somehow there's a copy of it. I mean, there's plenty of DVD companies online that uh, I, I guess because copyright laws are kind of inter- – international copyright laws are kind of meh. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. I guess,
0: I, guess they, I guess they don't care, so right. I have like two or three DVDs that I bought for like five bucks each that come in these little skinny cases – with movies that aren't the best quality but it's the only way I'm going to see it. So Right. Unfortunately, it's hard to get into, but I think the the veins are very deep. I think there are multiple 100 I think there are hundreds of them that I want to get to in my lifetime at some point. Um I'm glad you're finally you know, you're you're finally experiencing something that's uh, you're experiencing something that's a little bit different out of your comfort zone probably and yeah, maybe I- that'll spawn uh, other you know, other follow-ons to this film.
1: I I'd say so. Yeah, I, I am mean, I'm trying to think of other Yakuza films I've seen, and I I'm, I cannot think of others other than Again, the at least the two the... that Kurosawa made that I saw. Um Yeah, I'm blanking. I'm, I'm almost positive I've seen others, and I <laughs> I just can't think of what they are. Yeah, I mean, and that's not to say that I thought they were bad or <laughs> or immemorable, but. They're just not coming to mind right now.
0: You've seen a lot of movies, Chris.
1: Yeah, yeah. So have you, though, haven't well, you?
0: Nah, just, I'm only at like 2,500 on my letterbox. I mean, I'm sure that number's wrong because I'm forgetting stuff from my childhood. That sure. I don't even, at, sure. at this point, doesn't matter. But
1: yeah,
0: I think you're, I think you're way above that.
1: Uh, I don't remember. I, I think I'm past the 4,000 mark. Yeah, yeah.
0: I will say that our interests... While they may align in some ways, we have very big uh gaps elsewhere. So it's kind of cool that we're coming together and talking about stuff because we're just we're just seeing you absolutely know, if we not for the podcast, but just for our personal watching uh, experience, we're we're doing very different things here. Yeah, um, we are,
1: we are, and it's
0: which is which is fine.
1: It is no, it's it's cool, and even with how we just reviewed. Red Peony Gambler, how you and I talked about it, you sort of brought a lot more context. And, you know, I pointed out the symbolism of the peonies and all that. We were able to come up with something kind of cool. So I really like that. I really like that.
0: Yeah. And hopefully I didn't sound like too much of an idiot because that does happen sometimes. (laughs) No,
1: not at all. You sneezed quite a bit, but that was it. (laughs) Wakayama. Um, you. yes yes so um, um yeah so it
0: was- i'm gonna before think- we go before we go i'm gonna i'm gonna leave you with since you shared something about a director you got into i'm gonna share okay for for listeners and you i i highly recommend yoji yamada as a director okay uh probably fa- really really famous for the torresan series which is like 25 movies of this like tramp guy who goes around in like 80s 70s 80s 90s japan Not recommending those because I've never seen them, but I'll, I'll probably see one or two in my lifetime. Um, okay. I recommend, I I already talked about the one movie that he's pretty famous for, which is the yellow handkerchief, which Ken Takakura, again, one of my favorite Japanese actors is in. Um, but in addition to that, I highly recommend the trilogy. Um, which he he I'm not sure if it's he he dubbed it this or just fans did, but his samurai trilogy is from the 2000s, and I it's highly highly recommended. I I really really uh, love it. So it's the Twilight Samurai, the Hidden Blade, and Love and Honor are the three movies. And
1: you want to say his name again, twi-
0: Yoji Yamada.
1: Yoji and actually. Yamada.
0: Yeah, actually, he was born in 1931, and he's still alive, which is pretty amazing. So he's like 90s. Is
1: he he still making movies? Oh,
0: let's, let's see here. His most recent movie was from 2021. So yes, he is.
1: Wow. God bless him.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's only... Well... Letterbox might not be the most accurate thing to get all the the movies for especially like foreign films. But it says ninety movies. I'm I'm sure that's probably wrong somehow. But highly recommend that that trilogy. And with that, I will let you continue with what you were saying about your outro.
1: No, just that you heard it here, folks. We're going to recommend to you Yoji Yamada and Hiroshi Teshigahara as other Japanese director, directors to get into. Um, I'm sure they're probably pretty different. But, um, I think that, I think that ends the, our little podcast here on Red Peony Gambler. Hopefully, uh, some, you guys learned something about this Japanese film niche. And, uh, yeah, I definitely learned something, especially because I'm not, I'm not as filled in as Ben is. You got anything else you want to say, Ben?
0: Uh, the the last thing I have to say is uh, this will not be our last Yakuza movie, but it will definitely <laughs> we'll will definitely wait a while to get to be, get back into it. Uh, again, a lot to unpack here uh, in this genre. Just the language barrier, distribution, getting your hands on the films. But uh, by the time we talk about it next time, I hope to have seen a lot more and uh, be a little bit more well versed and not as you know tripping over my thoughts with it because if you if you're not thinking about it all the time it's kind of you know i have read a lot and heard a lot but putting it all together is kind of difficult but yeah like like chris yeah. said hopefully hopefully everyone learned a little bit hopefully this will uh, introduce you to a different type of genre if you've not already started watching you know yakuza movies from the 60s and 70s of you know, of japan um, and, and with that, I'm going to say, uh,
1: sayonara. All right. Well, uh, that ends this podcast of the searchers and we'll see you guys next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the searchers podcast. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies, you can find us on Letterboxd, Ben at Giant13, Chris at Ziglit underscore Mur, and me at Kevin Chan. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on searchersfilmpodcast.podbean.com. Until next time, people.